Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me on this Wednesday midweek. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please follow me on my Instagram account, at Monica Crowley underscore, and on Twitter and Truth Social, at Monica Crowley. Also, you can send me an email about anything we talk about on the show or what's on your mind at Podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's Podcast at gmail.com. Getting a lot of your emails. We try to dip into the email bag at the end of each show, as we will do today. And it, by the way, you guys, if you haven't noticed, brand new music, huh? New music. So I opened it up to you guys to to ask you whether or not you liked the introduction music and the music that we're, we were using to go in and out of segments. And boy, you really were not shy about those opinions. You really let me know. You did not like our show music. I did not take it personally, even though I selected it. I did not take it personally. I was fine with all of your opinions, and the vast majority of you really hated that music. So today, we are debuting the new tune. How do you like that? It's a little more edgy, a little more fierce, a little more fire, fire, as we bring on this show every day. Uh, So hopefully this music is more in tune with the tone of this show and with the fire that we bring and the fire that we breathe on this program every day as we try to save America because we ain't got time to bleed. Hopefully this music is better for the show. So once again, I'm going to open up the emails to you. Let me know what you think about the new music, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. I read all of the emails that come in, so keep them coming. Okay, today I want to take apart the Supreme Court situation and Roe versus Wade and where we are as a country politically and culturally. There's a lot to get to here, so sit tight. Also today, we are going to talk to Josh Hammer of Newsweek. And before you hear Newsweek and freak out, Josh is a true America first guy. He is a robust conservative 
And he is now, well, I guess over the last two years, he's taken over the op-ed section of Newsweek. So good for them for hiring a true conservative, a true America first guy to run the place. And he's published me there a couple of times. He's just, he is fantastic. So we're going to talk to him about how he got to Newsweek and the mainstream media in general. But we'll also talk to him about the presumed SCOTUS decision on abortion, politics, China, and more, because he's right there in the belly of the beast. And as I said, your emails all coming up. First up, though, the Monica memo. Last night, we saw results from the first multi-party primaries happening across the country. This is the first set of multi-state and multi-primary um, primaries that are going to happen all the way through, I think, August before we get into the general election uh, time frame. So we had big primaries in Ohio and Indiana. And when the results came in last night, guess what? All 22 Trump-endorsed candidates won. All 22 Trump-endorsed candidates won their primaries last night, including perhaps the biggest of them all, J.D. Vance, who was running in a crowded Senate primary in Ohio. Trump came out, he endorsed J.D., J.D. won last night. But again, 21 others who had been endorsed by Donald Trump won their primaries last night. You know what this means, okay? This is a huge political earthquake, This means that the Republican establishment may not be dead yet, but it's on life support. This is Trump's Republican Party. It is the America First Party because all of these candidates ran on an America First platform, making America great again. And, you know, frankly, because of the Biden administration, this is such a historic catastrophe that Putting out there an America first or make America great again platform is pretty easy, right? Your campaign ads, your campaign messaging, it all writes itself. When Trump did it at the end of the Obama years, um, because Obama did so much destruction, it, it also made a lot of sense and resonated and echoed with a lot of people and helped helped get him to victory. But now it's even on steroids because Biden is so much worse and what is going on in America now is so much worse that that whole America first campaign message is resonating with a lot more people. So what we have now is the new right. I said this very early on when we launched this podcast, we are the new right. We are the new GOP because we're fighters. We're fighters. We pull no punches. We give no mercy. We know what the odds are now. And we know what the stakes are now. And so now we're awake, not woke, but we are awake and we are fighting back and we're unafraid. Again, we thank Donald Trump for setting the template on this for the rest of us. Because before Donald Trump, everybody, everybody was afraid of their own shadow and what the New York Times might say and so on. And can't say this, can't say that. The leftist mob might come after you. The Washington Post might write a story. Well, now we don't really care about any of that anymore. It's all attitude. And we are now the new GOP, the new right. We are fighters. And these fighters are now running for office and winning. At least their primaries, and we'll see what happens in November. But a lot of these people are now teed up to win in their districts and in their states. This is the left's worst nightmare. And by the way, it's the GOP establishment's worst nightmare. Can you imagine Mitch McConnell having to deal with J.D. Vance in the Senate? Delicious. Just delicious. Because, you know, just as the left has been pulled to the radical, to the communist side by the most active voices like AOC and the rest, well, it's happening on our side too because we are now a populist party. 
Donald Trump led the way. And now we've got all these other candidates who are doing the exact same thing on the exact same message. But this is why this is the GOP's and the left's worst nightmare. They were so terrified that if Donald Trump succeeded, not just in winning the presidency, but succeeded as president, and he did both, that it would give rise to hundreds of baby Trumps. And by that, I mean hundreds of make America great again, America first candidates. And guess what? That is exactly what has happened. Let a thousand flowers bloom, okay, across America. All of these America first candidates, um, particularly those who are scoring Trump's big endorsement, they are winning. They're winning. So, Their worst nightmare about Trump's success leading to a whole new generation of unafraid, fearless America first fighters. Well, here it is, baby. Here it is. Worst nightmare. And it's all coming true. And this is just fantastic. And it does show you this is Donald Trump's party. The left and the GOP establishment have been trying to tear him down. The Liz Cheney's of the world, the Adam Kinzingers, they've been trying to rip the guy to shreds um, under investigation, um, January 6th, insurrectionist, and all this other stuff that they have thrown at the man. It's a miracle he's still standing, not just still standing, but driving the bus. The guy is running the show from Mar-a-Lago, and of course it's making them even crazier which is another delicious thing to watch. We're only getting started here, guys, and it is a beautiful thing. All right, let's switch gears here and talk about the Supreme Court and what we saw earlier this week. It does look, based on this unprecedented, outrageous leak that we got from the court, that the Supremes are getting ready to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, again, draft opinion, John Roberts said it was authentic, but they haven't fully decided yet, and things could change. Remember what happened with Obamacare? Oh, Lord of mercy. That, that, they were ready to overturn Obamacare as unconstitutional, and literally, it was something like three, four days before they were ready to issue their decision, John Roberts decided to change his mind, as he is wont to do. Um, So, again, anything is possible, and I don't want to count our chickens before they hatch here, but it does look like, at least now, it does appear that we have a situation where Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned. And everybody now knows this doesn't make abortion illegal in the country. States like California, New York, Massachusetts, if they haven't already, within five minutes will make abortion on demand legal. So you'll be able to go into those states. And, you know, for all of these people like, oh, such an inconvenience for a woman to have to get in a car or on a bus or on a train and go to a neighboring state that does allow abortion, These are the same people who are okay with the Biden administration moving illegal immigrants from the border areas to all over the country, by bus, by car, by train, by plane, you name it, planes, trains, and automobiles for the illegals, and that's no problem. That's not an inconvenience to the illegal alien, but, oh, women, it's a big deal. And another thing, okay, can I just say this? There is such thing as birth control. Birth control is now readily available and cheap. You can walk into any drugstore and for a couple of bucks, get some birth control. All that being said, we now have Roe versus Wade, which was always a constitutional, legal, and moral abomination about to be overturned here. And what it does point to is something bigger, which I want to talk about here. It points to this shift in energy. We have now a situation of winning. Remember when Trump used to say, are you tired of winning? And we were all like, no, not tired of winning. Well, we've been losing here for about a year and a half under Joe Biden, but now what we see is an energy shift, a shift in momentum 
to what is good and right and true. These are meaningful victories that we are now experiencing, whether it's CNN Plus dying or Elon Musk buying Twitter and giving free speech a chance again, John Durham investigating and indicting Hunter Biden under investigation. I don't know where a lot of this is going to lead, but I do know that it does seem like things have shifted. And these are meaningful victories, some of them big, like Roe v. Wade, assuming that that stands. But in the big scheme of things, the Democrat communists have been doing this over many decades. So we have a massive mountain to climb to turn this warship around. We should celebrate all of these victories. We have earned that because we've worked really hard for them. But I also need you to understand that we have so much more to do And the left isn't just going to throw up their hands and give up. All they do is fight. All they do is wage war. They never stop. And now they're not just going to allow us to revel in our little wins here and there. No, no, no. They're going to redouble their evil and redouble their efforts. And they're getting increasingly hysterical, too, because they sense the energy shift, too. Here is Senator Elizabeth Warren yesterday completely losing her mind. Angling for for decades now, and we are going to fight back. Girlfriend is losing it. She's losing it. Everybody on the left is losing it. Here is Chuck Schumer on the Senate floor the other day, also losing it about Roe v. Wade. Last night, a report disclosed that a conservative majority of the United States Supreme Court is ready to overturn Roe v. Wade and uproot decades of precedent affirming a woman's right to an abortion. If this report is accurate, the Supreme Court is poised to inflict the greatest restriction of rights in the past 50 years, not just on women, but on all Americans. Under this decision, our children will have less rights than their parents. The Republican-appointed justices' reported votes to overturn Roe v. Wade will go down as an abomination, one of the worst, most damaging decisions in modern history. Okay, so you understand that because the left, the Democrat communists, are redoubling their evil and redoubling their efforts. We have to redouble ours and be on guard. No complacency. Enjoy the moment, but no complacency. Complacency is what got us into this mess. Republicans for decades talked a really good game on abortion and life and so on. And yet never really did anything because they could just point to Roe v. Wade and say, well, it's the law of the land. So, Reagan fought, some others fought, but it was always at the margins. And none of them really got it, except for one person. One person got it. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you who it is. I'm Monica Crowley, back in a flash. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, 
lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. So a lot of Republicans over the years talked about abortion, and a lot of them really did mean what they were saying, but they always sort of talked about it as if it were an external issue, right? Something that's sort of out there, it's political, it sits above everything. And because of Roe v. Wade, Republicans really didn't feel like they could do anything concrete to push back on it because it was the law of the land. One person got it. One person really, really understood what we were dealing with here and the idea that we could change it. And that one person was Donald Trump. Yes, the guy who had been married three times. You know, as I always say on the show, God uses the most unlikely people sometimes to do the most extraordinary things. God always has a reason for doing what he's doing. So he took this unlikely guy. The guy became president. He really got it. Donald Trump talked a lot about life. He talked a lot about the abortion issue, and he said he was unapologetically pro-life. And I think, at least at the beginning, not a lot of people believed him on that. They thought, oh, here's another Republican candidate who's saying all the right things, but you know, can't really do anything or doesn't really want to do anything. And yet, Trump got it, and then he did something about it by remaking the judiciary. Not just the Supreme Court, as critical as that is, but all the way down. The judiciary is one of his greatest legacies. And if Roe v. Wade goes down, he will go down as the greatest pro-life president we have ever had. What a mark to leave, right? I believe he's coming back. But if he doesn't, that pro-life legacy, wow. Wow it blows all the other presidents right out of the water. And I will say this, this is an additional, well, I've got a couple of additional points here. All of this has woken us up to the idea that we really need to pay attention to what's gone on and what's going on. And that seems like such an obvious point. And you can say, well, Monica, you know, for 20, 30 years, of course I've been paying attention to what's going on. Yes, but no. Okay, so... And when I say we're awake now, not woke, it is, it's it's a real thing. We're awake and we're pissed. Because over the years, we've always sort of just accepted things the way they were and fought along the margins, right? Like in the Reagan years, tax cuts, all incredibly important stuff. Don't get me wrong. But it was always like, well, you know, this is just the way it is. And then when globalism started and Bill Clinton and NAFTA and everything else and the sellout to China, everybody just assumed this is the way it's going. The momentum is too strong. This is like a David Goliath situation. We can't push back and the rest of it, right? Well, now we have a completely different understanding of everything. And we've got the possibility, thanks to President Trump, In our minds, we've got the the possibility that things can change on a very fundamental level. And now we're all really paying attention, whether it's to the border or whether it's to the economy or whether it's to crime and how we've gotten to this place because the Democrat communists have had control for way too long. So that idea that, wow, Roe versus Wade can be overturned, And wow, we can bring manufacturing back to the United States as Donald Trump did. Over a half a million manufacturing jobs Trump brought back to the U.S. 
wow, all the stuff we were told for so long was impossible is possible. It's incredible. This is a real sea change of a moment here for all of us and certainly for the country. So last week, the Democrat communists could not even define woman, and they're putting a judge on the Supreme Court who couldn't or wouldn't define what is a woman. And they were also into uh, forcing you to put a needle in your arm with an experimental vaccine. And all of this bodily autonomy, what's that? Huh? No, it's not your body, your choice. Now, they're all for women's rights. I guess they're defining women again. And they're all about my body, my choice. Funny how things change, right? They're raging hypocrites on the left. I mean, it's just... Now, the same people who also support doxing their political opponents are suddenly super interested in privacy rights because that was the basis for Roe v. Wade. Remember last week we talked about libs of TikTok, that Twitter account that got doxed by the Washington Post and everybody on the left was like, oh, no problem, it doesn't matter if we release all of their information, where they work, their home address, home telephone numbers, and the rest. Those same people that supported that kind of doxing are suddenly all about privacy rights. The raging hypocrisy on the left is just completely out of control. And so obvious. Again, we are all now paying attention to what is going on. The left thinks that this kind of distraction on Roe v. Wade and abortion is going to work for them. They think that it's going to be a a very effective distraction from all of the catastrophes of Biden and the Democrats. The weakening economy, skyrocketing inflation and gas prices, spiking crime, cities in collapse, the wide open border, and all of the problems that that uh, brings with it. Weakness abroad, Russia, Ukraine, China on the march, Iran getting a nuclear weapon, all of this implosion they think is going to be swept under the rug in everybody's minds because, oh, Roe v. Wade and abortion. If we're talking about abortion, we're not talking about that whole long list of democratic disasters that have voters running, not walking, running to the Republican Party in droves. I do not think this is going to work. It's not going to mobilize voters the way they think it will. Maybe some pockets of some women and radicals, of course. And of course, the press is going to whip them up and be their usual insane echo chamber for all of this, pounding away on it day after day. But most people have a nuanced view on abortion. And it's been trending more conservative over many years because science. You know how the left is always raving about how we got to worship the science. Well, now we have science. We've got sonograms that show a real live human being in the womb. So opinions about abortion have been trending toward pro-life for quite a while. And I also think abortion is sort of baked into the cake for most voters. You know, the issue has been around since 1973 and Roe v. Wade. And poll after poll shows abortion is not even in the top 10 issues, or it's like number nine or 10. The issues voters care about are the ones that directly affect them. Inflation, gas prices, grocery prices, all of the issues that I just laid out, on top of it all, illegal immigration. Illegal immigration, you know, it's on, it, it, Bill Maher was saying this the other day, how Democrats just are completely blind to the issue and the impact it's having on the average American. Well, they want to be blind. This is willful blindness because it serves a bigger purpose here. But the idea that the left is going to score big on Roe v. Wade when this decision comes out, whenever it comes out, late June, early July, unless they move it up, This whole decision is going to be so snowed under by the biblical flood of illegal immigrants that are going to come into this country this summer 
that the abortion issue, I mean, it's already, it's already kind of dissipating, even after one or two days, whatever. But when, when the border is wide open and they lift Title 42 and the flood of illegals coming into this country, that will be the number one story, along with inflation and a weakening economy. So the left, if they're in their minds thinking that this is somehow going to be a kind of political motivator for their voters, they better think again because it's not going to happen. Again, what we started with uh, today on the show, the momentum has shifted, the energy has shifted. And we're going to bring it home in November and then forward not just to 24, but in every nook and cranny of this country, we are going to take this war to them. We've had enough complacency. We've had enough establishment types who just say, well, this is just the way it is and none of it can change. Bull. Bull. It can all be changed and we're witnessing it right now. I'm Monica Crowley. When we come back, we're going to talk to Josh Hammer of Newsweek about all of this and more. It's going to be a really great conversation. Sit tight. Well, now I am absolutely delighted to welcome my good friend, Josh Hammer. Josh is the op-ed editor at Newsweek, and he is also the host of The Josh Hammer Show, his podcast, which I was also delighted to join recently. So please go check it out, The Josh Hammer Show. It's a really smart conversation each week. Hi, Josh. Great to have you here. Monica, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course. It's my pleasure. So first question, which I think a lot of our audience is dying to know, Newsweek, long a left-leaning publication, you are a proud conservative, and now you're the opinion editor there. And you've also been very kind in publishing some of my op-eds at Newsweek. So I think a lot of people would like to know, how did that happen? How did you get there? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. This is probably one of the most frequent questions I get asked. And it's a totally reasonable question. So it's funny. My two-year anniversary was on May 1st, so I'm now two years into this job. What happened was, I mean, all this is public information. I mean, Newsweek kind of changed hands a lot over the years. It was owned by the Washington Post for 50 years from 1960 to 2010. They had a couple of bad mergers between 2010 and 2017. New ownership took, took over in 2017. And new ownership kind of came in, and they want to retool the entire publication. And we're very public about this. We are open about this. You can go to Newsweek.com. On the bottom of the website, there is a tab for mission statement. You can click it and see what we're trying to do. The opinion section that I run along with my team, my deputy editors, we are tasked with airing the full diversity of viewpoints. I mean, we literally exist to be kind of a media outlet to stretch the Overton window to kind of include more voices than any other mainstream or mainstream adjacent outlet would really give you. So, you know, that doesn't mean we're exclusively publishing conservative takes. I mean, I am a hard-charging conservative, but we are publishing the full spectrum of views, many of which I personally disagree with, but that's the task that we're commissioned with. And, you know, the value add from my perspective, of course, and I've loved your columns with us, Monica, but, you know, the, the great thing there is that I do get to platform a lot of fantastic conservatives. And if you're a conservative looking for a mainstream outlet, you know, outside of the Wall Street Journal or the New York Post, I think Newsweek's really the, the only other game in town, honestly. <laughs> Well, I love this, and I loved when I heard that you went to Newsweek, and, and I was at the Treasury Department at the time, and I did a double take, and I said, wow, you know, this this is really important that such a mainstream publication like Newsweek made a decision to have a variety of viewpoints represented in its pages. I mean, good for them, and like I said, I'm really grateful that you've published me at Newsweek, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to do that, um, but, you know, you, you guys are standing out there pretty much alone. I mean, everybody is in their tribe and that includes the mainstream press. So you guys are, and you're leading the charge on the op-ed pages, but you at Newsweek are really making the effort uh, to go back to what press should have been all along, which is the whole variety of viewpoints. Do you get any pushback there, Josh, for your views or the views that you publish? You know, it's an interesting question, right? So the way our company operates and the way I think most media outlets operate, kind of traditionally speaking, or at least newspapers, you know, there's a fairly, not, not a rigid divide. I don't want to overstate my case, 
But there's definitely something of a wall between kind of the opinion section and the news section, right? So like, so like the Wall Street Journal is a good example of this. I mean, I have no doubt that the editorial board and some of the reporters, because even at the Wall Street Journal, the reporters disproportionately tend towards the center left. You know, I have no doubt that they kind of clash, but I, I, the reality is on a day-to-day basis, they probably don't have a lot to do with each other. And that's kind of this, the same way in Newsweek. I mean, I work with my opinion team. I have a fantastic team of deputy editors. My bosses are very supportive of the mission statement that we're tasked with executing, which I carry out with my colleagues. So, you know, look, Monica, I have no doubt that many of my colleagues probably behind the scenes can't stand me. And, you know, I'm not going to name names, but we have had some incidents where, you know, some employees have kind of said some things, written some emails, some nasty letters like, oh, Josh Hammer has said XYZ thing. <laughs> not, you know, basically trying to kind of cancel me. Fortunately, nothing like that has happened for a very long time. I will say that there was some backlash when I was first hired, as you know, at that point, I already had kind of a track record of, you know, hard charging conservative commentary. But at this point, I think, you know, I, I thank God. I mean, my bosses have been so supportive. I mean, they are, they have my back. I mean, they have shown that now time and time again. So it's just not something that I'm particularly worried about at this point, honestly. Mm. Well, that is really great news. And, you know, the lesson is when there is pushback and people go on Twitter to be hysterical about Josh Hammer getting hired at Newsweek, God forbid a conservative might be there and have those views represented. The attitude is, who cares? You just don't buy into all of their hysteria and you're fine. And you've been there for two years and doing amazing work. So, guys, listen, there is hope in the media after all at Newsweek, at least. So and large part of that is Josh Hammer, the op editor. So, Josh, let's turn to some of the big issues facing us. Of course, we got this leak this week uh, from the Supreme Court. They're hunting down, apparently, the person who leaked this. But it does look like a decision could be imminent from the court to overturn Roe versus Wade and nationalized, legalized abortion. Your reaction to two things. One, what the court does seem poised to do. And two, before we get into the political fallout, um, your reaction to the fact that this leak came from somewhere in the court in a very unprecedented way. So, you know, Monica, this is kind of my wheelhouse, right? So it's funny. I, you know, I work in the media and the commentary space, the speaking podcasting space, you know, just like you do. But, you know, my background is the law. I went to University of Chicago for law school, clerked on the Federal Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. I still to this day speak at law schools as recently as last week, actually. So this very much is kind of the world that I come from. And I I can tell you that this is literally unprecedented. There is simply no precedent whatsoever for what transpired with Josh Gerstein's leak at Politico Monday evening. The Supreme Court is a famously airtight institution. Things like this just do not happen. It is renowned for its kind of cloistered, secluded nature. The clerks are tasked and they solemnly know their duties to kind of keep the inner workings of that, of that, uh, of that body secret. The deliberation simply cannot be subject to external swaying and kind of the give and take of rough horse trading politics. So this has upended everything. We are in uncharted territory right now. And at this point, the Chief Justice, John Roberts, has massive egg on his face because for years and years, he has cared more than anything about the so-called institutional integrity of the Supreme Court. And the brutal irony, of course, is that due in no small part to this leak the court has suffered its most grievous blow to that integrity, to its legitimacy, to its independence in decades, possibly even over a century. So we'll see what the chief justice does. I was I was hardened to see him, you know, say that he would task the marshal of the Supreme Court. That, that seems probably not enough to me, to be honest with you, to get to the bottom of the league. I would hope that they would call in the FBI or whoever else is needed. So uh, we'll see what happens. I do predict we'll get to the bottom of who it was. There's a relatively small sample size of people, honestly. I mean, by my count, there's 37 current clerks, there's nine justices. So it's a sample size of basically 46 people, um, you know, unless a janitor saw like a shredded up copy in the garbage, which I think is probably unlikely. So I predict we'll get to the bottom of this. Then the next question is what happens next. But, you know, look, we can bury the lead here. And the lead is that this opinion is marvelous, that this opinion from Justice Sam Alito, who's probably personally my favorite justice on the court and has been for years now, it's a it's a forceful repudiation of Roe versus Wade and its mm-hmm. murderous successor, Planned Parenthood versus Casey from 1992. I will be honest with you; it is a better opinion than I thought we would get. Uh, I, you know, as a pro life activist for years, I have learned to kind of hedge my bets and never count my chickens until they hatch in this particular area of jurisprudence. 
And after the oral argument back on December 1st, I honestly was not quite this optimistic. I thought it was possible we would get a forceful repudiation of Roe. But an opinion of this magnitude, I mean, the draft opinion was, I think, 98 pages, including 31 pages of appendices written by probably the most fiery writer from the conservative bloc and Justice Alito. It's just great stuff. So at this point, Monica, we just have to pray that they kind of stiffen their spines and that they stay strong amidst this literally unprecedented event. Yes, I know it is. You know, millions of people have been praying for this day for a really long time. And the Democrat communists, as I call them, have really turned it into their central pillar over the last 50 years. I mean, it's so much a part of their identity and their political agenda and such a driving force of their efforts to remake America that this is really a huge blow for them. It doesn't outlaw abortion permanently or, you know, it's going to be kicked back to the states and states like California, Massachusetts, New York will legalize it in about five minutes if they haven't already. So you will be able to get an abortion in America. But the Roe v. Wade decision was constitutionally, legally and morally such an abomination that the overturning of it, assuming that this holds, Josh, is going to be huge. Let's talk about the political fallout. You know, the Democrats already fundraising off of this, uh, going wild, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Hollywood celebrity. Chuck Schumer, they're all just hysterical over this. And they do think that it is going to help them in the midterms, which is probably why we got this leak to begin with. Um, They think that it's going to generate a lot of political momentum for them in what looks like it's going to be a very bad year for them otherwise. Do you see that happening? Do you see this being sort of a seminal moment that's going to turn the momentum from the Republicans to the Democrats come November? No. <laughs> the short answer is no. I mean, I agree is, with you. Yeah, that is markedly wishful thinking on the Democrats part. So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, obviously. But the first thing to note is for some swaths of the left, and this is kind of the blue checked Twitterati, like the loud progressive AOC sympathizing voices, I think, are disproportionately represented on Twitter, on MSNBC and so forth. There is a certain swath of hardcore leftists who does view abortion, the phrase that I've used in the past, is as their foremost pagan sacrament. It, it, it really is like their end-all, be-all, which is disgusting. I mean, I mean, it is truly vile and abhorrent, obviously. But there is a subset of people who view this as, as truly kind of the lodestar of their individual autonomy maximalism. By the way, they're hypocritical, too, <laughs> because I would mention the same people, obviously, that are now going, oh, my body, my choice. I mean, where are you guys yes. on, on the back stuff, right? Yes. On the COVID back stuff. Right. I mean, uh, p- pick one side. You can't have it both ways. But, you know, for most reasonable voters, and Hugh and Gallup polling consistently show this, abortion is not particularly high up on the list of issues, at least for this midterm election. I, you know, I was watching Fox the other day. Karl Rove was on with his, you know, with his white chalkboard that he's known for. And he, he had the issues listed like one through 10 as far as a recent poll. I think it was like 4% of voters or something like that showed that abortion was their number one issue. It was That's really right. ranked number nine. I mean, we're dealing with like skyrocketing inflation. You know, that's what you and I discussed on my podcast recently that you were so gracious enough to join. We're dealing obviously with with an economy, with a job situation that is very much still recovering. We have a Chinese threat, the likes of which we have not seen since the very height of the Cold War, obviously, a half century ago. There, there are real problems. I mean, the, the southern border is wide open, obviously. It's the worst it's been in God knows how long. So I just don't think that this is going to actually pay massive dividends for the Democrats. And the other thing, obviously, to make the point is that abortion is not kind of a one-sided issue. I mean, when you poll Americans, pro-life, pro-choice, it's it's usually within the margin of error. I mean, this is a this is a very close statistical question. So it's just not obvious to me this is going to work for the Democrats. We're talking to Josh Hammer. He is the op-ed editor at Newsweek and the host of The Josh Hammer Show, which is his podcast. And I joined it, I think, last week or the week before. It's a fantastic show, so please go check that out as well. I want to turn, Josh, to the state of the world. American weakness is provocative, and now we see the bad guys advancing everywhere. Is there a particular regime or organization or issue or development that keeps you up at night when you look at the world? Yeah, look, I, mean, I think like a lot of people in our orbit, Monica, I'm as far as the global stage, I mean, China is the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth biggest threats that we face, right? right. We, it is arguably 
it is arguably a bigger threat than the Soviet Union at the height of the Cold War. I don't want to overstate my case too much because the Soviet Union, based on sheer kind of nuclear weaponry, had a larger arsenal than the current People's Republic of China has. But in basically every other way, and by the way, their military, the People's Liberation Army, is rapidly expanding as well. They are marching all over the Indo-Pacific region. They're going into the Solomon Islands as recently as a week or two ago. Places as far away as Australia are starting to get scared of them at this point. But also not just as far as kind of the, you know, the, the, the pure military. Look at their economy and the Belt and Road Initiative in particular is a sprawling transcontinental kind of geostrategic, geoeconomic infrastructure plan. They have moved well into the Middle East. They are cozying up not just to the Iranians, but to the Saudis, like the Iranians' arch rivals. They're trying to play both sides of kind of the Middle East game. They're deep into the heart of Europe, too. I mean, look, I was, I've was i been in Budapest and Warsaw over the past year. I, you know, I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts on, on kind of the that kind of ascendant conservatism in Central and Eastern Europe. But one thing that I will say that I was troubled by is you do see a lot of Huawei signs, a lot of kind of Huawei 5G infrastructure mm-hmm. signs in that part of Europe. I think Italy as recently as a couple of weeks ago kind of signaled that they were open to Belt and Road Initiative overtures. China's obviously way into our hemisphere as well as far as what they're doing, working hand in hand oftentimes with the cartels and Hezbollah down in South and Central America. And obviously, economically speaking, I mean, they have such a noose around our neck. I mean, China is a sword of Damocles just dangling over our heads at any time with respect to kind of our trade deficit or the debt they've accumulated. So it is a massive, massive issue. COVID, you know, if there's one silver lining from the horror that was COVID and and the regime of COVID and the lockdowns and all that, that followed, the silver lining was that it should expose to a reasonable observer how ludicrous it is that we have kind of instituted economic policies that have made us so reliant on our yes. political foes. Yes. So. A- amen to that, Josh. I mean, uh, the fact that we have allowed on both sides of the aisle that we have allowed over so many decades this kind of economic dependency on China is just outrageous. And I agree with you that the one positive thing to come out of COVID is it woke people up, woke people up to that economic dependency on China, but it also woke people up to the threat of China and also what was going on in their schools, how their kids were being indoctrinated. There are some silver linings here. Uh, Josh. All right. Before I let you go, let's turn to politics because, you know, you've got this historic catastrophe in the Biden administration um, in every direction, which is obviously why the Democrat communists want to turn the narrative and the conversation to abortion because they don't want to be talking about raging inflation, sky high gas prices and grocery prices, the wide open border, crime spiking, um, a weakness abroad, cities in collapse and the whole list of, of items. So as you take a look at November, it does look like Republicans are heading into a good situation um, in the midterm elections, assuming these races are clean. Do you have any predictions for how, how many seats we might gain in the House and possibly in the Senate? So I will say that smarter people than me, or at least people who specialize in this area more than me, and if there's one name that I can name that I follow very closely for his thoughts on this, it's, it's Henry Olson of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, who writes a fairly regular Washington Post column as well. Henry is fantastic at this stuff. He follows all these elections the redistricting. He is he is on top of this. What I've seen from him is consistently saying that this could be kind of the cleanest Republican landslide since the Calvin Coolidge administration, wow. literally in a cent literally in a century. And you know, look, I mean we never can count our chickens before they hatch, obviously. Right. But but if you but but if you take Henry's prognostication seriously and based on my following of him over the years, and he's and he's not the only one saying this, obviously. I mean, you know, I've seen similar stuff from Rasmussen, Trafalgar the consensus that I've seen seems to be that Republicans could potentially pick up as many as 60 to 70 seats in the House. I, I, I'm not going to guarantee that. I mean, it's entirely possible it could fall short of that. But I think at a bare minimum, you're, at a bare minimum, I feel pretty comfortable saying you're looking at like a 35 to 40 point swing in the House. Right. And I, as far as kind of the, the Senate map is concerned, I have to feel reasonably comfortable about all of the kind of the fairly close elections, right? So Arizona is a good example. Arizona obviously is historically red state that's trended a little blue. I have to think that Republicans can take back Arizona fairly easily. I think Nevada is a coin flip. I 
I think, I think, you know, I think Adam Laxall probably has a very good chance of taking back Nevada, to be honest with you. I'm feeling pretty good about Herschel Walker, the presumptive nominee down in Georgia, mm-hmm. you know, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, we'll see. So a lot of these kind of swing states, I think even in the Senate are really going to start coming over to the Republican side. And the question obviously is what, what can Republicans do? with two years with a, you know, senile de facto lame duck president when they control both houses of Congress, the one thing that they can obvious that they can obviously do is just use their subpoena power like never before, right? With respect to kind of Hunter Biden, Hillary Clinton, this ministry of truth, Orwellian garbage, you know, just start calling lots and lots of investigations to get the bottom of the multitude scandals that have transpired over the past few years. But yes, I, I, I am I am pretty optimistic. I mean, I am definitely of the opinion that Republicans are looking to make fairly unprecedented gains this fall. Yes, I agree with you. And I also think given the historic catastrophe of the Biden administration and the left here and how it's all been exposed, I think if Republicans cannot win this year, they have no business running for office, period, Um, because this is the optimal moment. And I think the red wave, again, assuming these races are clean, uh, I think the red wave is going to be so massive, we are going to get maybe 50, 60 seats in the House. And I do think it's going to be like a sweep in the Senate. Again, don't count your chickens before they catch. And like the the Palestinians, uh, the old phrase, the Palestinians never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. (laughs) Josh, the Republicans also never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. So I don't want to get too excited, but the way things stand now, it does look pretty good. All right, Josh, as we head into November, we are definitely going to have you back. You've been such a delight. Josh Hammer, the op-ed editor at Newsweek. If you've blown off Newsweek thinking it's a far-left publication, (laughs) go back to it, I promise you, and read the opinion section. Josh has done amazing things with it. And of course, he is the host of the Josh Hammer Show, which is his own podcast. Go check that out as well. Josh, thanks so much. Monica, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. As we wrap up today's show, reminder that we've got brand new music. You've heard it throughout this show because so many of you hated the old music. We introduced new music today. It's a little sharper, edgier, more hard driving, just like me, just like you, just like this show. So send me an email. Let me know what you think of the new music. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. All right, let's read some notes that have come in over the last couple of days. Doug from Occupied California writes, hey, Monica, quick note. Just wanted to tell you how much I'm enjoying your podcast. Love your views, love your moxie, and really despise your music. I know it's hard to find free music, but something edgy, I think. Maybe a musician friend can write a little ditty for you. Anyway, you're awesome. So glad I found you. Well, Doug, I am so happy that you were on board. Thank you so much. And Doug, let me know what you think of the new music, okay? (laughs) I wouldn't die to have everybody let me know what you think of the new music. Sentakaya just writes this. Hi. That's it. That's the email. Hi. So Sentakaya, hi to you. Appreciate it. Hope you're listening. And let's say hi to Jonathan who writes, uh, a few thoughts from the other side of the pond, Swanage, England to be exact. Hi, Monica. Love the music. Great choice. Oh, So Jonathan loved the music. Nice to hear an upbeat theme rather than doom and gloom that we get on other shows. And then he suggests a version of the 1977 hit Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll and turn it into Sex and MAGA and Rock and Roll. Not a bad idea, Jonathan, not a bad idea. But thank you for liking the previous music. Jonathan, I know you're listening in the UK, and thank you for that. Tell all of your UK friends about this show. And also, Jonathan, let me know what you think about the new music. All right, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Also on social media, Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore, Twitter, uh, Truth Social at Monica Crowley. Thanks so much for being here. I will see you right back here on Friday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.